Father, we are under your word. And you have designed our souls so that we will be regenerated, that our, that we, that our lives will change as we hear your word. Father, we are under, we are about to go through a process of a miracle, you see. And that miracle is what you do. So Lord, we pray that as we listen to your word, not only listen, but as we contemplate and as we work through your, through your word, we pray, Lord, that you will um, clarify in our minds who you are and what you have called us to be. And may that clear understanding, Lord, truly make us salt and light of this world. All these things, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, we're continuing our studies in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and for the last few weeks or so, we were studying um, the Beatitudes, right? And the Be- in the last, I guess, two months, we were at the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are, for those of you who missed it, I think it's online, um, the Beatitudes are, are, are Jesus' description of what a citizen of his kingdom looks like. Beatitudes are the description of who Jesus says who he is and what his citizens look like, right? Like I said, in our minds, we, as we start over and over again, I think uh, because we're, we're idol factory, which means we project our, 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 who we think God is onto God. Right? But that's not true. The reason why we study the Beatitudes is to have a clear understanding of what Jesus says who he is and what Jesus is what a Christian is. Right? Um, I, was, I, heard of, I don't watch TV much. I heard there's a po- popular dating game show where the contestant, right, where the female contestant, there, there was a male contestant, and he told the female contestant, um, you know, I used to sleep around, but I think God revealed to me um, and I'm not going to sleep around anymore. And I hope you don't sleep around. But evidently, this beauty contestant slept around with all the other dudes in the co- contest. And she says, well, you're, you're super judgy. My Jesus loves me, even though I sleep around. So his idea of Jesus, which is the truth, right? And her idea of Jesus clashes. Because she is projecting who she thinks Jesus is which is very contrary to what he revealed himself to be. And that is what, and look, you guys are looking at me. If you know what show I'm talking about, shame on you, right? I just heard it through, you know, People Magazine, right? Anyway, People Magazine is more holy, right? So, right? so that's what it is, right? So we have, so Jesus' description of the Beatitudes, his description of himself, and his description of what his people are supposed to be. That's the Beatitudes. Now the rest of the sermon, right, the rest of chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, is about what his citizens actually look like in this world, right? He, he expounds the character of his citizens. Chapter 5, 6, and 7 is about how they conduct themselves in this world, right? And that's what we are studying today. So what Jesus basically says today is that his disciples are the salt and light of the world. And we're going to talk about the salty part today, I was doing, trying to like write about both the salt and the light part, but it's just going to take too long. And because I love you, I'm just going to shorten it to the salty part, right? And light is next week. You're welcome, right? So what Jesus says, when Jesus calls his people to be salt and light, he's basically saying he's calling you to be an influencing power in this world. That's what that means. Salt and light means Jesus has called you, called his disciples, to be an influencing people of this world. He is not calling you, right, to just calling us to sit in our basements, just listening to a sermon 
and, 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 and just be done with it. He is calling us to actively be changing agents in this world. Not Asians, agents in this world. Why? Because he himself, our Lord, whom we are made in the image of and who we are constantly being made in the image of, our Lord is a Lord who changes the world. Right? Jesus is not like Buddha or Confucius who just teaches you good things, moral lessons to, to be lived at. He's not that He doesn't come just to teach us how to live and pontificate on, you know, but he didn't just come to pontificate or philosophize what life is supposed to be. No, he came to be actively involved. He came to, for active obedience, and through his active obedience on the cross, he changes the destiny of the world, and he changes the destiny of his people. Jesus Christ came to influence the world. Influence such a small word to what he actually came to do. He had come to save the world. He has come to tr- change the trajectory of the world. He has come to make things new. And if we are his disciples, Jesus says, we too are called to influence change in the world. Right? Example is, during the transfiguration, you know what transfiguration is? It's when Jesus took Peter, James, and John. He went to the mountain, and he revealed his full glory to the, to, the, to the three. And Moses was there, right? And I think Elijah was there. He was there. It was great, right? They had a revival. Jesus revealed himself, and there were Moses and Elijah, and they go, oh, Jesus. And Peter's response is, Lord, we love it here. Can we stay? Jesus says, nope. And he takes those guys down the mountain for ministry. Jesus says, when he, Jesus saves you in this world, he has not saved you to remain where you are. He has saved you to be a changing influence, to be a power, to be a p- source of power of change in this world. Right? And that's what being a salt and light is about. Two things that we've got to understand about being salt and light, though. Number one, when, I, when, I'm, when Jesus says, when I mean he, you are the salt and light of the world, world that doesn't mean you know, mission fields out in, I don't know, Serengeti, Africa. Is Serengeti a place in Africa? Wow, I know geography. He just didn't call you to go to some remote part of the world via missionary. That's not what, I mean, world, of course, part of the world is going out to these places like Fredericksburg, Virginia. Where's Julian Kevin? God bless them, right? But but by what the world Jesus means is where God has placed you now. Right? The world means where God has placed you now to the, to the situation, especially the people that God has placed you in your life. That's what it means for world. Right? God has, there's a reason why God has made certain people your bosses. There's a reason why God has made certain people your parents. There's a reason why God made certain people your spouses. Right? There's a reason why God has made your children your children. God has placed you, surrounded you with all these unbelieving people so that you can influence them, right? So the way it works is you be an influence of change to the people around you, to your coworkers, to your parents, to your kids, to your spouse. And when God says, go to Serengeti, Africa, then you go to Serengeti, Africa. And in Serengeti, Africa, you have powerful change to the giraffes, the elephants, to the natives, to your wife, to your kids, right? God is just, God place, sends you to places and amongst the people, but where he has placed you, among the people that he has placed you, you are called to be a power of change and influence. That's your mission. That's my mission. So your mission right now is to be a source of power for change to your parents, 
to your coworkers, to your bosses, to your fellow church members, to the kids that you teach, right? That's what he's calling you to do now, to be in power of influence of change in their lives. When I say stuff like this, now you go, okay, what do I need to do? For those of us who are still awake, right, good for you, you go, what, I'm, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to be an influencer, a source of power? And that's where we got to be careful. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Jesus is not so much calling you to action to do stuff. But what Jesus is saying is, by the virtue of being who you are, you are going to be the source of power of influence of change. When I say you are the light of the earth, when Jesus says you are the salt of the earth, light of the world, you'll say that I need to go to places. I need to lead a Bible study. I need to go to a mission field. I need to do something to be a salt on earth. No, that's not, what Jesus, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, by the very nature of who you are, if you are a true Christian, by the very nature of who you are, you will be a source of change. That's what Jesus says in verse 14. You are a city on a hill cannot be hidden. What he means is, if you are a Christian, you cannot be, help but to be the source of change to the people around you. Then what is Jesus' definition of a type of person that is a natural influencer of change to the other people? What qualities do you need to possess to be the source of power of influence in other people? That, kids, comes from the Beatitudes. Being the sodom light of the earth means if you are a person who possesses the qualities of the Beatitudes, basically, if you're a Christian, and what is a Christian? If you are poor in spirit, right? If you are mourning over your sins, if you are meek, if you are merciful, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, if you are a peacemaker, if you're pure in heart, if you possess the qualities of the Beatitudes, then you will be influencing other people around you. If you don't possess these qualities, Jesus says, you're like a useless salt. It's very offensive. But Jesus says, if you don't possess these qualities, you're like a useless salt. It, 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 you're no good. It's better for you to be thrown up, be trampled by the feet of men. Because it is useless. That's very harsh, but true. Only, people, only those people who possess the qualities of the Beatitudes can influence change. I know many of you volunteer. right? I know many of you teach people. I know many of you serve the church. And I don't want to offend you, but when I say I don't want to offend you, what am I going to do? I'm going to offend you. No matter what, how you teach them, no matter how much time you devote yourself in the ministry, if you don't possess the qualities of the Beatitudes, I'm really sorry to say what Jesus is saying here is your labor is, will be useless. You're not going to change other people. And it's, I think that's very, very true. No matter how well I preach, no matter how funny stories that I tell, no matter how charming I am, if God doesn't reveal his character to me, and if I don't conform to the character of Christ as reflected in the Beatitudes, then my preaching is foolishness. I'm really going to be offensive now, right? But, you know, so, you know, I don't want, new people, I'm not usually this offensive. I'm usually very nice. Tell them, right? So the summer, it's summer months. It's summer, 
right? And if you're a good Korean Christian kid, what are you doing during summer months? You go to the mission, short-term mission fields. And God bless you for going to short-term mission fields. But my great concern whenever I hear kids going to short-term mission field is this. You take a kid, right, who's never walked with God. You take a young kid who doesn't know what it means to be poor in spirit. He has no idea what it means to be poor in spirit. You take this kid who has no inclination, who doesn't hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? He, he, he listens to the same music that the other world listens to. His values are exactly the same as the world values. He doesn't hunger and thirst for righteousness. He doesn't, he's not aware of his sins and the fact that Christ has forgiven his sins. You take such a kid and you place him in a mission field and say, do the work of Jesus Christ. Can God use such a person as an influence of change in the short-term mission field? He can do whatever he wants, but Scripture says he doesn't do that. He only uses people who truly belong to him. It is not our words that changes people. It really isn't. It's not our word. It's not our time that changes people. It really isn't. Sunday school teachers, it's not your time and effort that changes your students. It's, it's not. I'm, I'm glad that you're devoting yourself to them. God bless you. I don't think I can ever do it because I've tried to do it before and I couldn't do it. But it's not your time, you know. It's who you are of whether you truly know Christ. And the way you know Christ is if you start to be poor in spirit, mourning over your sins, hungry and thirsty righteousness, if you become merciful, if you become a peacemaker, if you become a pure in spirit, it is these, it, when you're transformed into such a person, then you're an influence of change. Let's talk about, a clear example is, let's, in order to clearly understand what, why that is, let's talk about being the salt of the earth. Right? What does it mean for Jesus says, when Jesus says you are the salt of the earth, what does that mean? To understand what he means, we've got to understand what, what the common use of salt was during that time. The most common use of salt during Jesus' time was to preserve food, right? Like, you know, these people weren't as smart as Koreans and, you know, the Asian, where we just dug holes in the ground and put a clay jar and, like, bury stuff for cooling. They didn't do that, right? They, they, you know, like, the way, so they don't have that kind of a system. Presumably, they didn't have that kind of system. But usually, because it's so hot, it's like this outside, right? It's like Middle East, man, it's hot. Never been there, but presumably, it's really hot. So when it's really hot and humid, just like today, if you lay food outside without refrigeration, what's going to happen? Food's going to spoil. How do I know? Because sometimes my wife cooks soup in the summer, and if we don't put the soup in the refrigerator the same day, what happens? It becomes spoiled. Right? So because of the heat of the day, because of the climate conditions, food gets easily spoiled, especially meat. So the way you preserve food from, from decaying, from rotting, is you salt the living daylights out of that food. Take the food and you dump it so that the food doesn't rot. When Jesus says you are the salt of the, salt of the earth, he's saying his believers, true Christians, are those people are, are, are influencing other people so that other people's soul will not rot, will not decay. If we look further into what Jesus is saying here is, Jesus is saying, 
without Christians, without Christ, the human condition is that of a decaying spirit. He's saying everyone apart from him, outside of him, and that's what makes Christianity so foolish and offensive. He's saying anyone who is apart from him have decaying spirits. Their spirits are rotting, he says. Even though they may look fine on the outside, on the inside, they're rotting. The reason I don't go to the dentist is this. Five years ago, right, I had a two root canal, right? Two root canals, right? Oh, my gosh. And you used to say, shouldn't you go to the dentist more so you don't get two root canals? Good point, but I'm afraid because it was hard. And what I remember about the root canal is this. They show, on the picture, right, like when, before I went to the dentist, I looked at the mirror and I smiled. Good teeth. There's no way my, there's nothing wrong with my teeth. Outside it looks good, right? They x-rayed my teeth. And they showed me what's going on on the inside of my teeth. What's going on in my teeth? It's rotting. You can see the black things, nerves damage. You can see the black whatever. On the outside it looks clean. On the inside is rotting. That's what Jesus is saying. On the outside, people look fine and dandy and happy. But on the inside, if you are not in Christ, you are decaying. You are rotting. Your spirit is decaying and rotting. Why is this? It's because Jesus is the logos, you see. He is the foundation of reality, John chapter 1. He is in which all things were created. Everything was created in him. Everything from the for the, everything in the universe, contained in the universe, from the trees to the grass to you and me, we find our purpose, meaning, right? We find order in Jesus Christ. We were meant to be rooted in him. That's what human being is made for. Jesus Christ is like the sun, right? Not S-O-N, but S-U-N. I don't know much about biology because I got a C in biology. Don't tell my child this. But evidently in biology, all the green stuff out there gets this nourishment from the sun. If you're Sean Stark, it's like Superman. Superman, source of Superman's power, is the sun. Right? Sean Stark is like looking at me. It's the sun that gives those green stuff out there nutrients. Just like that, all of us, because we're Jesus Christ, the foundation of reality itself, and he's a creator of all things, we're meant to be rooted in it. We're supposed to get our nourishment, our purpose, our meaning in him. It's true. But what sin does is, what rebellion does is, we turn our backs against the very source of nutrients in life. We say, oh no, Jesus, you're not the center of anything. I'm just going to go my way. And when we do that, we go in darkness. That's what the Bible says. Jesus Christ is the boom, the foundation of reality. In him is purpose, meaning, love. Everything that you're looking for is in him. But you say, nope, you're not. And then you turn your back. And then you start decaying. A bad example that I can tell you, I have a lot of decay stories in my life. Last month, there was a, I was, a, I was like praying in my basement, as, I, as one does, and I was looking up in the ceiling, and there's a huge hole. I go, huh? <laughs> and I looked at my treadmill, right, where, where a lot of prayers are going to my treadmill, too. And I looked at my treadmill, there's a lot of white stuff in my treadmill. I go, huh? Evidently, there was water damage in the ceiling of my 
basement and it just came off. There, were, there was water damage. Water was accumulating and there was water damage. And you go, well, how, how, how can you not tell? Didn't you ever look up in the ceiling? No, do you look up in your sitting room basement? Yeah, you do, just me? Yeah, so there was like water damage. But what's worse than the water damage is the fact that there was mold growing in there. So I had mold guys come and look at the molds. And he says, the water damage has been going on for a while. And therefore, bacteria is growing. The structure of your house is decaying because black mold bacteria is growing. It's growing because the bacteria doesn't see sun, doesn't see light, doesn't see warmth. Therefore, bacteria start to grow and starts damaging the house. That's the human spirit. When we turn away from the warmth of Christ, the truth of Christ, when we are not abiding in him, our spirit, just like mold, starts to decay. And, I'm, and, and, that's the, and, and it, we are living in a reality where everyone has decaying spirits. Your coworkers have decaying spirits. Your boss have decaying spirits. Your husband and wife have decaying spirits. Your kids have decaying spirits. And the evidence of the decay is everywhere. It's just so everywhere that it's just unbelievably, like sometimes if you think about it, I cannot deal with it. I used to listen to like, a lot of like, Fox News and CNN. I don't do that anymore. I can't. Because everyone is arguing. Every, everyone is so self-important. Everyone thinks that the other person is dead wrong, and there's this nasty hostility. Jesus says one of the evidence of decay is, dis- is discord, fits of anger, fits of rage. The reason why these guys are going at it, these women are, men and women are going at it at one another to the people that they dis- disagree with, is because they don't know the truth. And if they don't know the truth, then one of the most natural things happen is you start hating one another. Psalm 94, we talked about it in prayer meeting on, on Friday, right? In Psalm 94, it says, these evil men kill orphans, kill widows, kill the weak immigrants. Why? Because they don't think God exists. These men, these evil, wicked men that Psalm 194 talks about is they do evil things. They destroy innocent people because at their heart they don't think God exists. They don't think God is looking at them. And when you don't think God is looking at you, when you think that your life is really about you and your feelings and your opinions, how will you not, why won't you do evil things? You know what I mean? Like, I'm going everywhere today. Another evidence of decay, right, is I was listening to a lecture by Jordan Peterson this week, and he was quoting Nietzsche. For those of you who, I quote Nietzsche because, you know, I want to look smart. So Nietzsche said, God is dead, right? In the 18th century, 1800s, Nietzsche said, God is dead, right? What he meant was, in, in the Western world at that time, because of scientific evolution and, you know, because of enlightenment, people no longer felt, felt that they need God. Because of scientific development and rise of education, whatever, people in the West started to believe that they didn't need God. And what Nietzsche said was this. Once you start, stop believing in God, he says two things are going to happen. Nihilism, which means meaninglessness, will invade the world. And second, men will kill each other. Nietzsche is saying once you get God out of the picture, once God is no longer the foundation of morality, the men are going to start killing each other. And that's what exactly happened in the 20th century. 
An overwhelming sense of meaninglessness and overwhelming violence happened in the world because men kicked God out of their lives. It's everywhere. Decay. How do you, what are the evidence of decay? Discord, like, like I said before, fighting. Depression. Anxiety. Addiction. All of it is evidence of decay. You know? I can't watch TV shows anymore, especially Netflix TV shows. Why? It's not because I don't have time, which I don't, but they're so real, these issues. These TV shows, they depict humanity at its worst, right? And I look at it and watch it, and I go, oh, I can't watch it. It's too real. The evil in the human spirit is so real. I can't watch anime. Same thing. When I try to watch anime, I don't know what the anime that I try to watch. It's so philosophical. Like Evangelion. Have you known, do you know Evangelion? Evangelion is about the alienation of human beings, right? And like how human beings are evil. And, I, and, and that's all like expressed through robots fighting each other. And I go, I can't watch this. It's too heavy. Right? It's just too heavy. I don't want to be entertained by an existential angst and robots fighting. The TV shows that you watch, it's so real, isn't it? It depicts reality for so, the decay of human spirit so real. I can't be entertained by it anymore. That's why I just watch Ashton Kutcher movies, right? Because Ashton Kutcher movies don't deal with the decay of humanity, right? God bless, God bless you, Ashton Kutcher. You know what I mean? It's in our entertainment. It's in our news program. It's in the history of the world. It's in your life. How do I know? Look, I went to Korea a couple of weeks ago, right? You know what I did for the entire time? A couple of things. I watched TV shows with my mom. I went woman shopping with my mom. Right? Because lady clothing, that's my specialty of selecting lady clothing for my mother. And three, I listened to my fat, the decay stories of my family. My mom tells me about what is going on with my little brother, my, my older brother, my aunts and uncles. It's just one decay story after another. Like broken relationships, parents, kids hating their parents, husband hating their wives. I'm listening to it. And I go, this is my family. They are backstabbing, unforgiving, right? That's decay. There's decay in my family. I was listening to it for two weeks. Your family any better? Decay is everywhere. Why? Once again, because Christ is out of the picture. You are your own master. You are your interpreter of what is right and wrong. You are no longer, the light of the sun no, no longer radiates to you. And you're in the basement in darkness. That is why there's decay. Back to my initial point. So, even kids have decay. So, the question is, you think you can cure people's decay by teaching them Sunday school? You think you can cure someone's decay by, you know, by just seeing them 30 minutes a week if you're a Sunday school teacher? Do you have the power to cure someone's decay? You don't. Only Christ does, you see. Only Jesus Christ does. Jesus Christ is in the business of curing decayed spirits. That's his business, you know couple of examples. 
Lazarus. Remember Lazarus, Jesus' disciple, faithful disciple? Lazarus was dead, and he was buried for three days. You know what happens, you know what happens to a human body when, it, when it's decomposing, in the, especially in the heat of the Mediterranean sun? All the moisture goes out, right? All, you know, cells no longer replicate. You are just a body with de decomposing cells. It's a rotting corpse. But Jesus says, hey, Lazarus, come out. And the decomposition stops. And life starts to happen in Lazarus. And Lazarus goes out. That's exactly what Jesus does. He stops the decay. And he gives life. That's what he does. And the best example of this is Ezekiel chapter 37. Right? Ezekiel chapter 37. Then the Lord said to Ezekiel... Prophecy, which means to preach. Prophe so Ezekiel, Ezekiel had a vision, and in the vision he, had, he saw a big valley, a big deep valley with dry bones, right? And God said to Ezekiel in, chapter, in verse 4, Preach prophecy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make, I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I, prophesi I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then God said to me, prophecy to the, to the breath, prophecy, son of man. So say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath from four winds and breathe into these, to these slain that they may live. So I prophesied and he, and as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood upon their feet, a vast army. Ezekiel prophesied, these bones came together, tendons started to form, skin started to cover, breath in entered into these carcasses. That's a description of the type of business that Jesus is into. Jesus resurrects dead carcasses, dead spirits, and makes them live. That evidence is in our church, you know. How do I know? Membership interviews. I love membership interviews. And, and, and the two things that I ask in membership interviews. What is the gospel? You better know what the gospel is or you'll fail. And I tell you, I ask, what, what are the evidence of salvation? Basically means, how do, how do you know that you were once dead but now you are alive? And people tell me. And, and I cry. And they cry. And I say, you pass. That's what always happens, right? People with dead spirits are coming to life here, you know. Jesus is doing that. I'm not doing that. Look. So when I was dating my wife, 
20 years ago. No, I was dating, we were married 20 years, so 23 years ago. Holy moly, I'm old, right? So we're dating my wife, and I'm glad that my son's not here and does not re record it, right? So she shared, shared with me her deep scars, her traumas. Because I, evidently I have that talent of just, people just confess things to me for some reason. She was like confessing her deep scar, like deep trauma, which I cannot share because it's so private and hurtful. And when she was sharing that, good old cocky PJ, 23 years ago, I was like 20, 20, 24, I listened to that and I go, I got this, right? I can take care of you. Yeah, you're messed up. But I'm a pastor, baby. I know the word of God, right? 23 years, 20 years later, I realized this, that her scars and her brokenness is so deep. No matter what I said to her, no matter what I told her, she wouldn't get better. By the way, husband, and boyfriend, girlfriends, husband and wives, you marry your, 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 the significant other's scars and sin. That's what you're marrying into. And you can't nag it away. As much as you ladies try, you, you can't nag it away. You can't ignore it away as husbands try. There's nothing in you, there's nothing in me that could have possibly healed my wife's scars. But you know what happened? God did it. I don't know how and I don't know why. Certainly it is not with my teaching, preaching, because if I preach to her, what does that sound? Like nagging. So I don't preach. I tried, but it didn't work. But for some reason, in a certain time, God started to change like, something in her. And there is life that has started to form in her. Normally, I said, look, your scars are so deep, you should go see a psychiatrist. She says, nope. And I go, and uh, how, can, how can you change with a psychiatrist? God is changing her. There is these scars that she's overcoming. And there's a clarity of mind, and there is this joyful spirit that she has. God is changing her dead carcass into something that, that gives that, that, and forms life in her. Jesus is the one who does it, not you and not me. Your efforts will not work. Only the influencing power of Jesus does that. If Jesus is the only one who can do, do that, why does he say you have to be the salt of the earth? What he means by when he said you are the salt of the earth means if you're just radiating the personality of Christ in your life, God uses that radiance, that reflection, to heal the other person. It is so much, not so much what I do that changes other people, but Christ started radiating within me that starts to change people. Can I tell you a secret? Everything that I say, if there's any changes that are happening in the church, it's not, I, think, I don't think it's not because of the words that I preach per se. But it is there I say, my prayer time, when he reveals himself to me, him disciplining me, and these things happening in me, and as these things happening in me, truth starts to radiate from within me. 
It's not my clever story. It's not my passionate, passionate like oratory skills that are changing people. It is Christ working in me. That's the thing that changes people. How do you change your spouse? Start radiating the Beatitudes. You're not clever enough. You're not forceful enough. There's nothing in your power. There's nothing that you can do to stop the decay. Nothing. I know you think you're right, and I think you know that if, if, you're, if the other person just listens to you, that that person can change for the better. That's bogus. That's wrong. There's nothing you can do to make the other person better. Simply radiate the qualities of Christ that is in the Beatitudes. Do you understand? Look. Um, I lost my... Oh, yeah. I promise I'm going to talk about the prayer meeting. Prayer meeting. So Friday, we had a prayer meeting, right? And it was a rough week, man. You know, you know how it goes. It was a rough week, especially like this week, clients were yelling at me. You know what I mean? You messed up. You know what I mean? Like, oh, oh. And he was like yelling at me. He was very tired, right? And then Friday, we had a barbecue at work, and I'm very popular at work, so people are begging me to go to that barbecue. Right? I'm very popular, you know? Appreciate me. And I said, no, I can't go to the barbecue. I got to leave a prayer meeting. And they said, why don't you let your son lead the prayer meeting? I go, what? You're crazy. Right? Unbelievers, what do they know? Right? I go, oh. Right, so I, I work in D.C., so I drove all the way to D.C. in the heat. And I came to the church. And what happened? No one was here. Right? I felt like I was Pastor Ujin, discouraged. I go, oh, man. Maybe this is good news. Maybe I can go home. Right? I, I, I'm tired. I got to get up 4 in the morning next day because my wife, I can drive my wife to the airport. But man, two people showed up. Oh. Let us have prayer meeting, right? And then we were going through Psalm 94 together, verse by verse. And as we shared about God, as he is described in Psalm 94, and which led to how God is acting in our lives. As we shared, oh, my heart felt so joy, and I started crying, right? As we were praying for you guys and for each other, it was so great. My weary spirit came alive again just because we were talking about God and Christ. So the prayer meeting that I wanted to leave, it lasted like two and a half hours. Our prayer meetings are never this long, by the way. It's never, so don't go, no, no right? Pastor Ujian makes it short and sweet, right? But that prayer meeting, I'm here to say, was great. Live in my soul. Why? Simply because we were in the presence of Christ talking about Christ. What do you do on Friday? Shame on you, right? That's how it works. Simply being in the presence of Christ, you start to bear the image of Christ. You start to have the qualities of the Beatitude. When you're in the presence of Christ, you really become poor in spirit. You really know that you, there's nothing that you can, you, there's nothing that you did to deserve God's love for you. And yet Christ loved you. Understanding that fills your heart with such love and confidence because, because the God who saved the person like you, you know that can save anyone. 
So having the quality of the support spirit really does give you such warmth and joy and also confidence in the fact that God who saved you can save other people. When you're in the presence of Christ, you know that you receive mercy for your sin. And when you're in Christ, you know that your, your sins are forgiven. You know that how wrong your sins are, and you know that you're forgiven. And once again, there is power and joy in, in that. And when you constantly live in that reality, the life of Christ starts to emanate out of you. You really do become salt, you know? That's how you change other people. Simply being in the presence of Christ and let him change you. Do you want to do great things for him? Be in his presence. Before thinking about going anywhere, doing anything, simply be in his presence. Let what he did for you just change you and warm your heart. Let what he, what he has done for you just give you confidence because the God who saved you can certainly save other people. Let that be the worship. And you'll find rest that way too. Look, you know, like the most common reason, right, that we don't worship God, right, is I'm too tired. Y'all are very too tired, right? And, and so therefore, you sacrifice sleep and you don't read. It's a, it's a vicious cycle, right? You're tired, you don't read, you don't worship God because you're tired. And if you don't worship God, you become more tired. But it is in my, my experiences. I certainly don't sleep. I'm not a tough Asian man. I'm just a workaholic Asian man. And I certainly don't sleep. But I feel well-rested all the time when I am in the Lord. In my, in my basement leaking place as I worship Him late at night, I'm filled with warmth. I'm filled with confidence and rest. And even though I may get four or five hours of sleep, I'm very rested because I am in him. And when I am in him, I am not only am I rested, God uses whatever I do to change people. If you are not abiding in him, you're not only killing your spirit, which you are, but you're limiting your influence. Do you want your husband and wife to change? Dwell in the presence of God. Find joy in him. Let him, let him, start, to, uh, uh, let him, let him like, start changing you so that you will conform to who he is. When you start doing that, I promise you things will change. Let's pray. This time, why don't we reflect what we have learned? Are you the salt of the earth? Are you influencing other people to change? Are you rotting? Are you, are, you, are you stopping the rot of other people by pointing other people to Christ, showing other people Christ? And that starts as you, as you, as you abide in him. Are you abiding in him? Are you letting him influence you? If you're not, repent. Repent. Say to, the, say to the Lord, you thought that your efforts could change people. Clearly they don't. And ask the Lord to somehow convince you, to remind you, 
to make real what he has done for you. So that, these be, so that these be attitudes can become a reality in your life. So that you can start influencing, so, so that God can use you to start influencing other people. If your marriages are falling apart, perhaps it is not because, of the, it's not the other person's fault as much as the fact that you're not remaining in Christ. If you're not a source of life to the people in your community, it is because you are not remaining in Christ. Repent for the fact that you're not remaining in Him and ask Him so that, so that you can remain in Him, so that you can see Him and experience Him, so that you can be the force of change to the people around you. Let us pray. Father, we are reminded of our call the reason for our existence, the purpose of our existence here, the purpose of your people in this world. It is so that we can be used by you to stop the decay of other people's soul. We are called to be influence of life to the spiritually dying people around us. We are not called to share the same values of the world, or live for the things of the world. We are not called to worry about what we will wear, where we will go, what we will eat. That's not our call. Our call is to be the salt of the earth, which is to stop the decay of the people around us. And Lord, we know that everyone around us are decaying, or have decaying spirits. Our parents, our spouses, our co-workers, even our children have decaying, rebellious spirits. Father, the only way that we can be an influence of change is if we remain in you, if our spirits soak in the light, of, soak the light of Christ. We confess, Lord, that we have not soaked in the light of Christ. We have not abided in you. And therefore, Lord, we get frustrated with people. We get offended by people. We get hurt by other people because we are not abiding in Christ. Father, I pray by your grace, call all of us to your presence. Make us possessors of the qualities of the Beatitudes. May you truly make us poor in spirit. May you truly make us merciful. May you truly make us mourn over our sins. May you truly make us peacemakers, pure in spirit. May you truly make us hunger and thirst for righteousness. So as we inhabit these qualities, may the people around us change. May they start to live. Father, we recognize, Lord, as once again, that it is not within our power to change anyone, but that is strictly with you. May we understand that and may we seek after you every day. For those of us, Lord, we pray for the needs of the world. Father, we, we are living in a world where men and women are under foolish philosophies and theories. They think externalities can change them. They think, Father, that you know, like only material things can change them. Only achievements can change them. Father, we live in such a world. Father, let us be the light in this world. Let us point to them and to the fact that, Lord, that it is not external things that can change people, but it is Christ alone that can change people. Allow us to be living examples of that. For those of us who have sick family members or those of us who are sick, I pray for healing. I pray for those of us with various needs, whether it is financial or whether it's psychological or this relation, I pray, Lord, that your light will, 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 will meet their needs. I pray, Lord, that you will lead this church to make this church 
a salty church, Lord. May we not be a meaningless, worthless church, but a church that is truly covered by, filled by disciples so that our church will be used to make a difference in this community. All these things, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.